Uh, but Job, we're going through the book of Job. Jesus said that, that the truth will set you free. He did not say that the truth will make you feel better. He didn't say the truth will make you feel warm and fuzzy inside. He said the truth will set you free. And maybe freedom can lead to those other things, but Jesus is more important in your freedom than in how you're feeling in any moment. And, and, and when we go through the book of Job, we're, we're getting truth. We're getting inspired, authoritative truth that has been preserved by God for a long, long time. And the truth that we get out of, out of the book of Job is, is not necessarily the same truths we get in other parts of the Scripture, but it's just as true. And it's just as important. And so that's my only hope today, <laughs> that as we get into this truth, some freedom will come for us. Um, and Job, Job, we know, uh, was written by someone just like you and I. They, they were a person that was inspired by God, so they're different in the way that they were writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But, but they were just like you and I, and they were writing out this whole book, basically out of an understanding of their own pain. Now, whether this person is actually Job or whether this person is writing a story about an actual person he knew named Job, we don't know. Or whether this is just someone who is basically coming up with a theoretical story and then applying truth to it. We, we don't know exactly. Maybe this is just someone that has been through a lot of pain themselves, and this is a way that they're trying to unpack what that's been like and felt like. But it's just, it's just not been picked up by Hallmark Channel, you know, to make one of those movies about Job. There's not a lot of kids' books about the book of Job. You don't see a lot of people with, you know, Job verses tattooed on their arms or anything like that, especially not when God speaks. Because it's like, oh, we've been in all this agony. Job's gotten through all this tragedy and horror, and then he's wrestled this out and tried to maintain his integrity, even against his friends, giving him bad advice. And finally, in Job 38, after all this dialogue, after all this time, God comes to speak to Job, to settle the score, to make all things right, to set the captives free. And he doesn't. He's a big jerk. I mean, if you've read, you're, a lot of you are not laughing for a reason, because that's disturbing. And, and guess what? Job has been extremely disappointed by God in this entire book. And when God comes and shows up in Job 38 to speak to Job, I'm very disappointed. It's very disappointing to me the way that God shows up. And I don't know why the writer does this. I don't know why God inspired the writers to do this. But it is, it is the absolute truth. If you read God's words to Job and you're like, oh yeah, now Job makes sense, you need to read them again. Because first of all, the way that God comes here in verse 1 is the Lord answered Job out of the storm. It's like Job has literally lost everything. And he's even lost his health. He's got boils all over his body that he just scrapes all day. 
And his wife, he didn't lose her, but might have been nice to because she's just like, Job, curse God and die. You're miserable. And he's in this state, and he's been in this state, and he's trying so hard to maintain his integrity and his trust in the Lord. And it's just been absolute agony. And then the Lord comes to him, not like an old grandma, which I think would have been way better for the story. He doesn't come to him with gentleness and kindness and softness and say, Job, I understand. Come here. Come here, child. He comes in a storm, an intense storm, to show his full power. And listen to what he says. Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man, and I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy, who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb, when I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, when I said, this far you may come and no farther, here is where your proud waves halt. You get what I'm saying? That does not seem like God is coming and meeting someone in their pain. He's already had friends come to him and say, hey, we're going to comfort you by telling you this is all your fault. And if you just stop sinning all the time, you wouldn't be in so much pain. But this is how God comes. This is how God shows up to Job and speaks to Job. And a couple things to note in here. God clearly is trying to um, help Job understand that, that God has plans, that God's up to things, and he doesn't appreciate people saying God doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't appreciate people saying God doesn't have a plan. He doesn't appreciate people adding confusion to the plans that God has. Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? God has plans. He knows what he's doing. And the second thing I think it's interesting to note here is that God's sovereignty in another way is, is, is brought forth when he's talking about when he made the, the, the seas and the waves and all the vast power of the ocean, and yet he told it, you can come here and no further. He puts limits on all these powers and all these things that he's created. He's sovereign over it all. And then if you keep reading chapter 37, or 38, sorry, and you keep reading chapter 39, you keep reading chapter 40, um, 40 you're going to find a whole bunch more of the same stuff. So we're not going to go through all of that. But basically, God's talking about light in all the different intricate ways. And he's talking about darkness in all the intricate ways. He's talking about stars and animals and rain and snow with all this kind of vast, expansive knowledge, as well as this extremely intimate understanding. A couple examples are, he says, have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? And I think that's just fascinating, especially because we just had, you know, the web telescope come online, and we've been able to see further into the darkness of the cosmos than ever before. And what we found was it's full of light and beauty and wonder and other galaxies, and you're just like, what? Can we not see that anymore? <laughs> that's just messing me up. Speaking to the, the amazing expanse of power of God and majesty. 
But then also there's a verse in here that says, do you watch when the doe bears her fawn? Do you count the months till they bear? Do you know the time they give birth? Which is so interesting. Basically, God's saying, Job, do you know that I'm paying attention to every single doe out there and I'm like counting down the days until she's going to give birth with anticipation. And then I'm, I've marked it on my calendar to make sure that I don't miss it. In every situation, there's a lot of does out there. There's a deer, in case you didn't know. A lot of deer out there. There's a lot of female deers out there. Doe, a deer, a female, right? We, we good? <laughs> But he's so, he's so attentive. He's not just expansive in power, but he's using all that expansive power to also be so dialed in to every facet of creation. And you get a lot of this. Question after question after question he brings to Job to this. And then you get to chapter 41, and God gets a little weird because he starts talking about Leviathan, this creature that he's made. And he spends a whole chapter just talking about it. At one point in the chapter, he's like, I will not stop talking about this creature. <laughs> Literally, he doesn't. He just goes on to talk more about the creature. Let's check it out. Can you pull in Leviathan with a fish hook or tie down its tongue with a rope? Can you put a cord through its nose or pierce its jaw with a hook? Will it keep begging you for mercy? Will it speak to you with gentle words? Will it make an agreement with you for you to take it as a slave for life? Can you make it a pet? Can you make a pet of it like a bird and put it on a leash for the young women in your house? I got a lot of young women in my house. I got three daughters, always leashing things, bringing them in so they can see them. But he's talking about this, this, I mean, Leviathan, we don't know exactly, but it's some sort of massive, created, destructive animal. I mean, think about dinosaur. Um, think about all of that. And that, that's where your mind goes. You're thinking about, okay, maybe this is like, he's talking about some sort of like, hippopotamus or he's talking about, you know, dinosaurs or something. We don't know exactly. But then he goes on and says this a few verses later in the same chapter. Its back has rows of shields tightly sealed together. Each is so close to the next that no air can pass between. They are joined fast to one another. They cling together and cannot be parted. Its snorting throws out flashes of light. Its eyes are like rays of dawn. Flames stream from its mouth. Sparks of fire shoot out. Smoke pours from its nostrils as from a boiling pot over burning reeds. Its breath sets coals ablaze and flames dart from its mouth. Now what is he talking about? Huh? What do you think? Dragon, right? This is a dragon. So Leviathan, we were like, yeah, hippopotamus. Oh, maybe a dinosaur. Oh, wait. He's talking about a dragon. Why is he talking about a dragon? Job's here saying, God, can you please tell me why I'm going through all this suffering? And God's like, let me tell you about the dragon. <laughs> Dude. He talks, about, he talks about, have you seen its thighs? <laughs> You're just like, what is happening right here? God, we got to come back here. Me and you, pain, boils, see him? He's like, but have you seen the vital? It's awesome. It's so awesome. Now, three things on this. Two that are not biblical, one that is. <laughs> it's always a good thing to say in your sermon. The first one is, I love the movie How to Train Your Dragon. Like, I love, love it. Like, I try and act like my daughter loves it a lot because I love it so much and I want to watch it. Um, 
Hiccup and Toothless, they're like friendship. Hiccup's the guy and Toothless the dragon. It's like, yeah, I want that so bad. And so here in the Bible, God's talking about dragons. So it gives me this like outside chance that maybe when I get to heaven, what's up? I'll be flying some dragons. We're going to be hanging out. It's going to be awesome. I still hope that, you know. The second thing about dragons, which is also extra biblical, let's call it, um, is, is there's something interesting about Job being a document from the ancient Near East, um, or ancient East is all it says, and, and how it's really, really all of the documents that we have that are ancient documents from the East, they're all written in a very similar poetic or, or epic time, type format. Um, the Epic of Gilgamesh from the Babylonian documents, even the creation account that we have in, in the Hebrew Bible is, is very poetic in the way that it recounts all this. So it's very common with all of that. But so it comes from the East. Job is a man from the East, and, and it, it's talking about dragons. And, and we know that in the East, there's just been this long-standing history within the cultural realities of, of this dragon reality. So again, I'm just like, my mind is blown that God is talking about dragons to guys from the East, that there's this whole thing there. You can get lost on that. Don't go too far, because you probably end up real crazy if you go too far down that rabbit trail. But um, it's interesting stuff. But what we do know biblically, back on the Bible train here, um, revelation and a kind of as, as, as our, our theology or our, our concept of who Satan, who the adversary is, is developed. Ultimately, revelation talks about the devil, Satan, being a dragon, being a dragon that, you know, its tail whips out a third of the stars, speaking about the angels in heaven, and it wages war against the saints. And so there's this interesting connection because in the beginning we have the introduction of the devil coming to report to God. And here we have God describing this devil as this create or the, this dragon as this created being and then the Bible brings those things together for us. And again, this might take a lot of emails. It's fine. Email me. That's great. I got about like two more weeks before I don't have to respond to emails anymore. And actually, the truth is, is whenever we've gone and done these missions before, the first three months are so lonely wherever we go that if I get an email, I literally like do a little dance. I'm like, I got an email, um, which is kind of sad, but it's true. Um, but, but, the, but, but, but somehow there's a connotation, there's a teaching, there's a message in all of this that, that, the, that, that the Satan, the adversary, the dragon, the devil um, is a created being that has been created to bring about the eternal purposes of God on earth and in heaven. And again, that's, I get that's very challenging and troubling, and there's a lot more to talk about that. But, but you see that connection here in the book of Job, especially interpreted through the rest of scriptures. So um, that's the whole dragon deal going on. It's cool, it's fun, but it's wild. So in all of this, God comes and he doesn't answer Job's question, doesn't really acknowledge Job. He just challenges Job. He basically says, once you can answer these questions, then I'll answer your question, chump. Um, and then in Job 42, 1, we see Job's response. He says, then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. 
I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. At this point, Hallmark said they will never be calling. This is Job's response. And what we know from the author continually, every time Job responds in the Bible, it's beautiful. It's exactly right. Remember when the tragedy hit and he said, you know, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then the narrator comes in and says, and Job did not sin in anything he had said. And then Job loses his own health and his wife says, curse God and die. And he says, will we not take hard things from God? We'll only take good things. And the author comes in and Job did not sin in anything he'd said. And here Job's response is just right. It's exactly the right response. It's not an American response. It's not a David response. (laughs) But it's a beautiful response. It's a hard response. It's a response that actually puts their trust in the authority of God. Now, many of us have a lot of trouble with authority because we've, we've, we've been submitted or have submitted to authority that was not good and healthy and right. And it's caused us to be wounded badly. And so submitting to authority is a very difficult thing. But in the Bible, submitting to authority is a beautiful, important thing. And submitting to God's authority is a wonderful thing because God will never do anything wrong. And so Job stops and finishes in this place. So a couple of concluding things here. So what do we hear in God's words to Job? Well, I'm going to tell you what I hear. Um, And we can put these things up. There's four things that I notice here that I think are really important. They're common themes throughout the whole book of Job. But the first one is God hears Job's prayers and cries and complaints. This is really important. And it can be easily missed in the book of Job. But the truth is, is that God was taking notice of Job prior to Satan coming to report. God actually says, have you noticed Job? Because I've been noticing him. He's amazing. And Satan was like, he's only amazing because you're giving him all this stuff. And that's how we got into all this challenge. But all throughout, God has been listening. He's been paying attention. So when he comes and says, who's obscuring my, no- my plans with words without knowledge, it's because he's been listening to all of the things Job and his friends have been saying. Actually, in the next chapter, God deals with Job's friends because he was listening to what they were saying as well. God is attentive. He is tuned in. He is listening to the cries of his people. Even so much so that he's even counting down the days until the dough gives birth. It's an important thing to remember when you're in pain, that God is very aware of what you're going through. And he hears everything you say. Number two, God is sovereign. He's in charge. He knows everything. Therefore, he knows what he's doing. God's sovereignty is continually reiterated in these words in the book of Job as well. And uh, God's sovereignty is is a tough thing. It's a tough pill to swallow. Submission has kind of become a bad word in our society. But healthy submission to God's sovereignty is actually such a freeing thing. I like what this guy, uh, Jared Wilson, from the gospelcoalition.org, 
he writes this about God, and I think he makes a really good point. He says, but the God of the scriptures is a consuming fire. So Deuteronomy says, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That's what Hebrews says. He stirs up the oceans with the tip of his finger, and they sizzle rolling clouds of steam into the sky. He shoots lightning from his fists. This is the God who leads his children by a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. This is the God who makes war and sends plagues and sits in thrones in majesty and glory in his heavens, doing what he pleases. This is the God who incarnate in the flesh turned tables over in the temple like he owned the place. This Lord God, Jesus Christ, was pushed to the edge of the cliff and declared, this is not happening today, and walked right back through the crowd like a boss. This Lord says, nobody takes my life. I gave it willing, as if to say, you couldn't kill me unless I let you. This Lord calms the storms, casts out demons, binds and looses, and has the authority to grant us the same. The devil is this God's lapdog. And then he goes on and says, let us then advance the gospel of the kingdom of God out into the perimeter of our hearts and lives with affectionate meekness and humble submission. And then here's the kicker. And let us repent of our nonchalance in our relationship with God. What he's talking about is he noticed we've become maybe a little too nonchalant, a little too cavalier in our dealings with the almighty God of the universe. We've tried maybe a little too hard to make him in our image instead of let him be God and him make us into his image. When I read that, let us repent of our nonchalance, I took some time to do that. And Job at the end, his response is is beautiful and accurate and wonderful because of who God is that it's by his mercies daily that we are not consumed. And for whatever reason, Job needed to remember that and God used his life to teach us all that. The third thing we see in God's words to Job is that God has evil on a leash. Now that phrase that Jared Wilson said that the devil is God's lapdog, I I don't know how that hits you. It hits me a little uncomfortable. One, I don't really like lap dogs, but um, it just seems a little hard. But then this phrase comes from Christopher Ash, and it is that, that God has the devil on a leash. And again, I get this is super troubling type stuff to think about. Um, but this is a message in the book of Job for sure. When he talks about Le- Leviathan being on a hook and him putting a leash on it for the girls in the house. When he talks about the waves, you can come this far and no more. And even if you go back further, when the devil says, let me hurt Job, and then you'll see he'll curse you to your face. God says, hey, you can do things to him, but you cannot hurt his body. And then Job, come, Job you know, has that good response. And the devil says, but it's only because you didn't let me hurt his body. He says, you can hurt his body, but you cannot take his life. God has the devil on a leash. And this guy, Christopher Ash, I think he puts this together really well, this challenging truth, by saying this, this God who knows how to use supernatural evil to serve his purposes of ultimate good can and will use the darkest invasions into my own life for his invincible plans for my good in Christ. Hallelujah, what a Savior. 
I'm going to read this to you now. This God who knows how to use supernatural evil to serve his purposes of ultimate good can and will use the darkest invasions in your life. And you alone know the full extent to the dark invasions that have come into your life. But God can use the darkest invasions into your life for his invincible plans for your good in Christ Jesus. There's no better example of that than Jesus Christ on the cross. The darkest invasion that ever happened within human history happened to Jesus on that cross, and yet God has used that for so much good including the salvation of you and I forevermore. The last thing we learn from God's words is that God's main goal is not your happiness or comfort. We're not going to be in Job forever, guys. (laughs) There are other books of the Bible, and we're going to those. Um... But this is really, really an important truth. That God's main goal is to accomplish His eternal purposes. God's plans trump your plans every time. God's plans are what He's most interested in. And luckily, He's a good and gracious God, and His plans actually do have you ending up in a really comfortable, good place. But Ephesians gives us a little insight into what God's eternal purposes are. I don't have time to go through all the verses, but in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10 through 13, we learn this, that God's eternal purpose is to make known his manifold wisdom to the principalities and powers in heavenly realms. I'm going to say that again because this is a little... God's eternal purposes in creation, in you and I, in everything, is to make known his manifold wisdom to the principalities and powers in heavenly realms. The Bible teaches us that. And, I mean, there's just so much to do with that. But basically, somehow, God is really interested in using your life and your suffering to make his manifold wisdom known to the principalities and powers in heavenly realms. And the book of Job, right, opens with God in the heavenly realm. With the Elohim council of all of these created angelic beings that are reporting to him. And somehow helping them to know his character and his manifold wisdom that he would be able to walk out truth and grace perfectly. And love sinners like us with their grace, but also bring justice through sinners like us. Just unbelievable, mind-blowing stuff. And he's making that known to all of the heavenly realms through the little lives of you and I. And again, the way we know that is Jesus on the cross, who he himself said, not my will, but your will be done, Lord. We learn that through Job's life, that not only has God 
done some sort of work in the heavenly realms, but it's been continuing on all through today to where you and I are learning about God and his manifest wisdom, manifold wisdom through the sufferings of, of Job. And so the decision that we have to make, are we going to let God be God? And we're going to get in line with his plans? Or are we going to be disappointed with God because he didn't come up with our plans? And so what we're left with is to say, well, what do we see in Job's response? We see what we, the message in God's words to Job, and what do we see in the message of Job's words to God? And what I think we see is I think we see Job developing a healthy fear of the Lord. Now, again, that phrase needs some unpacking. And this guy, um, Russ Meek, has this quote that I think is pretty helpful. He says, Job teaches us that the role of humans in this life is to recognize our limited understanding, limited insight, limited wisdom, limited power, limited everything. And in that recognition, we are to fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of mankind, which comes from the book of Ecclesiastes, written by the wisest person that ever lived. To fear God and keep his commandments, this is the whole duty of man. This is what got Job out of the trouble, ultimately. He continued to fear God and keep his commandments. Because Jesus feared God and kept his commandments, resurrection came. He was sinless. And for you and I, if we want to see God's eternal purposes accomplished on earth, we will fear God and keep his commandments. And here's how I think that happens to you that might be in some real pain or confusing pain right now. When the pain comes, Be still and know that he is God. When the pain remains, hold tightly to his promises and seek his face. And when the pain seems like more than you can bear, cry out, grieve, all the while knowing that God hears every single one of your prayers. And he has already experienced the exact pain that you are going through and so much more. And when it seems unjust or unfair, trust in his sovereignty and power and manifold wisdom. He will make all things new. No matter what the dark invasion might have been, he will make all things new. Your deliverer is already on the way. And for me and my family right now, fear of the Lord means when God calls you to a cold, dark, and lonely season, you go, you trust him for a house, <laughs> And you seek his face. Let's pray.
Lord, I thank you that there is no darkness you can't light up. And even better, there's no darkness that we'll go through that you won't use to do something beautiful in the heavenly realm as well as this world. And Lord, I really ask that those are who are in a lot of pain, that they would really know your voice, they'd seek your face, they wouldn't turn to other things to bring comfort that will actually take them further from you. And Lord, you really help each of us to trust in you. We thank you that your authority is perfect. Help us to surrender. Thank you that you've given us your spirit to be inside of us, literally, to strengthen and guide us. I pray we'd learn to trust your spirit more in the big things as well as the little things. And I thank you, Lord, that you are who you are and you don't change based on my wants or desires, but you remain the same, full of grace and full of truth.